The Holy Spirit, the person who worked with the Holy Spirit, I got seven or eight sides I'm going to share with you, okay? Um, here's something. God's really dealt with me this week about the idea of, you know, the, the Holy Spirit, I think probably is of the three people of the Godhead, the three persons of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is the one that's most understood, but whose work today is probably as active or more active than any of the three. Okay, and we don't understand the Holy Spirit, therefore we don't understand how He works. The Holy Spirit, His work and His person sometimes is really clouded in some mysterious thing that, that, uh, that we don't understand. And it's, it challenges us sometimes to understand what He's doing. But scripturally speaking, there are several things specifically that the person of the Holy Spirit does. And there are several characteristics that He has that we need to be aware of. Many of you, this is simply going to be a refresher course. But starting right here. God's been dealing with me on the issue of the Holy Spirit and creativity this week. Now, in the beginning of the book, second chapter, Genesis, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering, or you could substitute another word there, brooding over the face of the waters. Now, those of you who have other translations, and if you got it with you, Tell me, tell me what another word there for hovering could be other than brooding. Do you have a translation out there anywhere? I should have pulled up a comparison, but I didn't do that. So if you've got like uh, the NIV or if you've got the message or if you've got a uh, uh, new revised standard or whatever, call it out to me. What? Moved. Moved. Okay, moved. Hovering, moved, brooded. Anything any different? Anybody got a New Living Translation? Be something really good for you to do is, is, is get on the internet when you get home and look up and spend some time here. Okay? Now, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There are three that bear record in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, God the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Holy Ghost. He's referred to as Spirit and uh, it really makes no difference how you refer to him. He's still who he is. But now let's just take a look at this just a second. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning was God, and God began to do something. The first activity, the first deliberate activity of the Godhead was that the Holy Spirit was put into action. Okay? Let that settle for just a minute. The Holy Spirit moved directly on that. I don't know what it was. It just simply said the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. You go figure that out. Men have written volumes as to what that means. I'm here to tell you something. I don't know what it means, but I do know this. I know that bef before there was all this stuff, there was nothing. So at some point, God moved on something. So the something that God moved on had to come from God himself or it would never have been something. Okay? And I can't say that again. I hope you got it the first time. <laughs> so the first, the, the first sovereign activity of a triune God was to move on the face of the deep. 
and to hover over or to brood over it like a, and this is the kind of way God dealt with me this week, kind of like a, a hen on her nest. Could you let me do that? Could you let me say that? Now, here is the radical departure from Scripture. This is me talking. This is my opinion. This is what I think. This is what I feel. The Word teaches that the Spirit brings stuff that is dead to life. Okay? We'll see that in some more of these frames. That is, I'm telling you, if you had... If you had to find, if I had to define specifically what I consider to be uh, uh, the, 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 the pinnacle work of the Holy Spirit in a general way, to make a general statement, I would simply say the work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the, in the Word is to bring something that's dead to life or to bring life out of death. It's one of the great four paradoxes in Scripture. Now, that is what, or that is one of the things the Holy Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit brooded over, or, or like, a, like a hen on a nest, just stretched out over all of whatever this was. If you read further on in Genesis, each day that something was created, there comes a point out there, I think it's like at day three or day four, and I just have to go back and read it. It would say, it's talking about, talking about the earth, uh, and the earth brought forth... The seed that was in itself. Okay? And the fish came out, you know, the fish came in the water, and the plants came out from the seed that was in itself, and the animals came out, da 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 da, this, that, and the other, da 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 da. Over and over and over again, it's repeated that the seed that was in the earth was, was brought out, and God began to get everything working in His perfect order. Okay? Now, here's what I think. Don't come to me when this is over and hit me with a rolling pin and say, I don't agree with you because this is my opinion. And I'm happy to let you have yours. But I've been thinking about this a long time. And this week, as I was spending some time with the Lord, this is what I want to share with you. I believe that somewhere in this great activity of God, that the Holy Spirit was doing something in a supernatural way to whatever it was that he was hovering over, which later became everything that we see and know and experience as the physical creation. And he was putting seed into that. He was putting something in there that couldn't get there any other way. And at a particular point in time, that process started, and that process has never stopped. You can't stop trees from growing out there in the woods. You can't keep animals from reproducing you can't keep the sun from coming up or going down somewhere in this process part of the work of what God did in creativity was the Holy Spirit the, the creative the, the creative aspect of the triune Godhead established itself over whatever all this was and actually implanted in that thing the life that was to come forth in a perpetual way. For example, let's just go somewhere else. I'll just give you kind of a hint with that. What happened when Mary, the mother of Jesus, what happened when the Spirit of God came on her? She received the seed of God. And she became pregnant with Jesus, yet she was a virgin. You see what I'm saying? Now the point in all that is this, is 
the life spark, the, the productivity, the, the process of life and everything that goes on in, in a perpetual way has its genesis in God. It's being fulfilled today and it's, this whole process is still in operation. And in your personal life, as the Holy Spirit still gives gifts and the various anointings, and we'll see all that later if we get to it today, which I don't think we're probably going to get there now, but as we get there, well, the Holy Spirit is sort of the person of the Godhead in charge of the creative processes. You've heard me say this so many times. You were, God knew you before the foundation of the earth. He had you on His mind. He saw you at Calvary. He knew you when you would be an adult. He understood the result or the, the way you would, you would, your demise would come. And He also, in, in the mind of God, He saw you in the heavenlies. Okay? He knows all things. So He, knew you, he, he knows about you intimately. And in terms of the creative process, the Holy Spirit has touched your life. I'm looking at you now. The Holy Spirit has touched your life. He's given some musical gifts. He's given some writing gifts. He's given some dancing gifts. He's given some gifts of oratory. He's given others gifts of administration. He's given others gifts of helps. He's given others prophetic gifts. He's given others this gift and that gift and the other gift. The Holy Spirit is where you get that spark in that unction for you to embrace life and go after destiny. You see? It's a God thing. And the place I'm going to with this today is I'm trying, I, I, want, to, I want to persuade you, I want to encourage you, I want to admonish you to when you feel the creative process begin to take rise, embrace it. Don't, don't, don't discourage it. Don't think that it's too hard of a job. Don't think that it's too inaccessible for you to do what you feel God is saying for you to do. Don't do that. Embrace that process of creativity because it is as you embrace that process and as your creativity comes out and as it begins to, as it begins to manifest itself in your life and you, 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 you mold. See, so you have some responsibility after the genesis of that is received and embraced. It's your responsibility to kind of take it like a, like somebody making a, like a potter or something, you know, you take that lump of clay and you, you turn it into a thing of beauty. So see, it's your responsibility in the creative process of things, in terms of your personal expression, to, to, to allow God to embrace His gift and to trust God that if He give you that gift, He will allow you to work it out to a finished product. The creative process. Now. <laughs> I got something to say. I don't quite know how to say this. It's a good thing though. Okay, just give me just a minute. An architect. Okay, let's do it this way. An architect can visualize a building and then he can take that the vision that he has, and he'll draw him a little sketch of it, and he'll take that sketch, and then he'll begin to make a, he'll be, begin to expand on his sketches, and 
at some point he'll get to a three-dimensional model and he'll build the model. He'll make plans for it. And then he goes to, to a building site. He selects a building site and he begins to get the building materials together, hires the construction crew and begins to erect this thing that once started as, as a seed of, of, of the creative process within him. And when that building gets built, they have this grand opening. They turn the lights on and the building's occupied. And he stands back. And there's a great deal of satisfaction in knowing that he has put his hand to a task. He has worked through it. He has completed it. And there's a great deal of satisfaction standing there. There has to be looking at this building that once just was an idea. And there's a finished project. And he goes on to the next one. That's a really good thing that you would be able or that he would be able to enjoy the, the work of his hands and receive satisfaction in that. Now, let's talk about the kingdom for, a sec, for just a minute. <laughs> the kingdom works that way to a degree, but it doesn't work that way to a degree. There's a lot of satisfaction in, in being engaged in, in the economy of God in the kingdom. And seeing, okay, for example, let's talk about, let's talk about PWAC or any other, any other church. Let's talk about a ministry, for example. There's a great deal of satisfaction to be able to see it born and to watch it grow. The thing is that there's satisfaction in that, but there's also some frustration involved. Because once it started and once it begins to grow, the people involved in starting it, Never see the full-blown manifestation of it. You see, John Wesley, uh, the father of Methodism, he was not privy to live all these hundreds of years and see the Methodist church as it is today. He saw a small part of it. He saw the infancy, the growth aspect. Uh, he was an, the apostolic founder of that, that, that denomination or that work. And he left it in the hands of other people. He had satisfaction, but there's also a degree of dissatisfaction because you can never see the finished product. That's where faith comes in. You are responsible in this creative process. There's going to be points along the way in your work, in your ministry, in your life, in your experience with God. There's going to be points along the way where you're going to feel a great deal of satisfaction with what God has involved you in and what you have done for Him in the kingdom. There's going to be a great deal of satisfaction. When you see somebody saved or when, when you minister to somebody in prayer or when uh, you, you see a drama going, the people who work with that sort of thing or when an artist paints or, you know, you see what I'm saying? There's a great deal of satisfaction in that. But also, there's a little something that God has built into the kingdom creative process that will not let you rest with one completed project. Because the creativity of God that he's planted in you is something that, if nurtured properly, it's going to outlive you. And you are going to, for the course of your entire life, you're, going to be, you're responsible to find people or to meet people who come in contact with you. And you are responsible to take what God has put in you and to express it through your mouth. And the hearing ears that hear it and catch hold of that vision 
or that, or that spark of creative process, then those people will join in and you'll spark something in them and then they, through either your testimony or through the release of God in their life, then they'll begin to operate and they'll begin to do this and they'll begin to put stuff together and then what you do is spread it by means of multiplicity. But there's still this divine frustration in the heart of people who are in ministry that there's this... Oh my goodness. It's just... Well, it's like... Okay, it's like this. I was so full of sausage dogs yesterday when I left here. I didn't think I'd ever be hungry again. Okay? I got up this morning... And we had, we had breakfast at our house because we were hungry. We had, we had chicken and scrambled eggs. Yeah. Diced up some, some chicken breast and some scrambled eggs. We had chicken and chicken. <laughs> chicken and eggs. How many of y'all had chicken and eggs? Raise your hand. Well, see here, that's part of the creative process. My wife opened up the refrigerator. There was beef sausage, there was turkey, and there was chicken. You know, the beef sausage is easy to do. Turkey, that's sandwich meat. So, hey, I'll be creative. She was creative. She went and got the chicken breast. And I turned over there and looked at her whenever she was chopping it up, and I was thinking, don't say nothing. And I kept my mouth shut and I allowed her creative process to debone that chicken, cut it in cubes, put it in the microwave, and I took the eggs that I scrambled and we took the chicken she cubed, we put the chicken on the bottom and the eggs on top and it was good. But we allowed the creative process to work itself out. And there was a blessing for both of us on the end of it. Now had I stood there and said... Uh, what you doing? <laughs> I would have gotten the look. You guys know what I'm talking about. I would have gotten the look. And then, probably, the only thing I'd have had for breakfast were my scrambled eggs. But see, this is the way it is in the kingdom. And I've used that illustration to, to teach you a dynamic about the kingdom processes. I walk in an apostolic way. Okay? I think apostolically. I'm, I'm, y'all, I'm telling you, I'm out there months and years ahead of most of you in thinking and planning and, and rolling stuff around. And, and I, I'm seeing God's stuff work years in advance. I'm seeing this stuff, okay? And it is just as real to me as that easel right there. Okay? Those of you who have prophetic gifts... God's speaking to you. He's showing you stuff. And a lot of times it's for the right here and the now. Okay? Those of you who have teaching gifts, God bless you, it's just wonderful. Those who have evangelical gifts, they they see it in a different way. The pastor sees it in a different way. All five of those ministry gifts could look out over this congregation and they could see five different aspects of of these people that are sitting in this building right now. All of them will be different, 
but they would all be the same. When you put those different aspects together and they begin to work in unison as one, what happens is it's like that chicken and eggs this morning. They're better together than they would have been by themselves. See? That's the way the kingdom creativity works. And God help us if we ever get to the place where we're satisfied with what the Lord has let us handle, for what He's let us take a part in, and for what we've accomplished. God help us if we ever get there. Because the minute we get there, we start going back down the hill we tried so hard to climb. But the Spirit of God did something on this abyss, whatever it was. And I believe what he did was he put the seed of potential and the seed of creativity and the seed of life for everything we will ever need, both physically and then also again in a spiritual way when he rests on our soul. I believe the same thing happens. He awakens. He awakens the heart and the mind of God and He awakens the purposes within us. And we begin to think about new thoughts and things and we begin to roll them over and sometimes struggle with them. Embrace them and just just go for it. I'm here to tell you today, I want you to go for it. Don't be satisfied with just simply what you have. Let the hunger and the thirst of the Lord rampage through your body. You know, when you see something, when you feel something, when you think something that's creative, don't dismiss it as just a, an idle thought, just, a, just a, a, a random thought running through your head or your mind. You stop just a minute. A lot of times all you need is confirmation. For example, you know, the storehouse ministry was born out of a couple people getting the same thing at the same time and speaking it out. It's confirmed Heard it's a good thing for the Lord. The garden project was the same way. Little things that's going to bless people's lives. See, that's, that's, that's part of creativity. I don't have a tractor. James got a tractor. I don't have land. He's got land. You see how it works? So allow the creativity of God to find full manifestation in your life. And you know what? People may think you're weird or strange. Because I'll tell you now, when I was sitting at that table in that planning meeting about the dance thing, every single person, without exception, my wife was not there, every single person, without exception, got up and thought I had lost my ever-loving mind. And not, not one of them wanted to participate in it. And in less than two months, most of them were dancing. Yeah. Now, they're not here today because of other things, but that's, you know, that's okay. But what I'm saying is, that was a God thing. That's life. I think it's wonderful. Okay. Slide number two. Are we okay with that creativity? We okay? Everybody's good? Okay. The other thing the Holy Spirit does, or one of the other things, is that He convicts of sin. John 16, 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples very close to the end of his life. 
For if I do not go away, the Helper, who is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Let me give you another kingdom principle right here. And this is just, I know I'm not going to get through with all this. So I'm just going to kind of graze along here and give you what God gives me right here. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. There's another kingdom principle. And a lot of you have learned this. And when I say this, it's going to make a lot of sense. Every single one of you, either at some point in your life right now, you've got something good and solid and substantial that God has given you. And you recognize it for what it is. Now, you've been called to to live a life of faith. And you've been called to walk the path of faith. And I discovered God to be this way. In In my life of faith, in my maturing process, in my growing process, I've always got at least something, at least one thing good from God. I've got a lot of things, but let's just talk about one thing. And I'm holding on to it for dear life. But in my walk of faith, sometimes God comes a-knocking. And he says, okay, I've got this other thing for you. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is. But I tell you what. If you give me back that good thing I've given you, then I'll give you this other thing that comes from me that you can't see. And you don't know what it is. You know what I've learned? When God calls on me for an exchange like that, in every case I've ever given him anything that he's given me in in the process of a faith exchange, he's always given me something better. I may not have understood how it was packaged. I may not have appreciated how it was packaged. But in the long haul, the thing that he extended to me that I willfully took in exchange for what I had, it always was a better thing. So I'm telling you this today, right here. Jesus is saying, if I don't go away, you can't get the thing that God's got planned for you that's best that's coming along. I'm part, Jesus is saying, I'm part of the grand scheme of things. Don't misunderstand me. But I know I got to get out of here. I've got to make the sacrifice on the tree. I've got to be resurrected. I've got to get myself back to glory because unless I get back to glory, the Holy Spirit is not going to come. So what I want to encourage you to do is this. Never be afraid to give up that good thing you have because he was, at, he was telling the disciples, give me up. Give me up. Let me go. It's not going to look pretty. It's not going to feel good. But let me go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. So I want to tell you today. When you hear your spirit being talked to like this, the best thing you can do is give it up. You will never, ever, ever regret it. Okay. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. And then he explains that. Of sin because they do not believe in me. You want to really, you want to see an unbeliever frustrated? An unbeliever is really at his most frustrated when in his unbelief he's confronted with the truth of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they don't yield to it. 
Read, read about what happened to the Pharisees in Scripture. They were the most frustrated people on the face of the planet. Okay? Well, all of them weren't. Some of them were saved. But anyway, he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. There's a lot of preaching in this, people. But the point here is the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you and me and everybody else of our violations of the law of God. From little white lies to the big stuff, if you want to say it that way. There's no little sin, no big sin, but I mean, he covers the gamuts. Don't you feel so bad <laughs> whenever you do something and you know it's not exactly right? It may be, maybe it doesn't have to be immoral. You know, it doesn't have to be a really bad thing, but when you, when you tell a fib, when you don't keep your word, when you allow an offense to go unaddressed, when you become angry and later cool off, what does it feel like to have that Holy Spirit knock and say, uh, excuse me, uh, we have a rule against that in the kingdom. And then you start feeling the weight of that sin and oh, how you are, but you know, I see the cross. And I'm reminded I'm sorry I'm so emotional today, but I'm telling you, something touched a nerve this morning. But I see the cross and I'm reminded of what Jesus did for me without, without complaint and without fault. And here I am doing this. But the Holy Spirit knocks on the door and says, Excuse me, you've just violated a standard. You've just, for lack of a better word, you, you've just defamed something that's holy. You've just spit in the face of grace and forgiveness. He does that with me and he does that with you. But also what it's talking about here is, 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 a, is, a, is a person who is lost, who is an unbeliever, who's just as lost as Hogan's goat. What the Holy Spirit does is when he saves people, all of a sudden when he comes and he, and he, he reveals sin to them and shows them the remedy for sin, which is the cross of Jesus, and they embrace it with such joy, a lot of times that, that flood of repentance just comes out of them, you know, and they cleanse their heart and their spirit before the Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It allows that process to take place that, that will usher them into ultimate glory later on. Can you see how precious he is? Can you see how this third person of the Godhead, just in these two little slides, and just, just in what he does, can you see how precious he is and how wonderful his work is? Can you begin to see how expansive his work is? And he does this conviction of sin with all of us. He's constantly doing it. 
And he never gets tired of it because, you see, he is just as in love with what Jesus did as we are with what Jesus did. And it's the heart of the Spirit of God to dispense with his part of the covenant that was made with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is who he is. Oh, y'all, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. Next slide, please. Ah, the new birth. Sometimes this is as far as we go. And let's see here, if you never get any further than this, if this is all you ever understand, then you're, in, you're on good ground, okay? It's the new birth, the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3 is the place we always go to this. Jesus talking with Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'll just insert something right here. I'm glad he didn't say, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the church. Let me tell you something. When you come to Jesus, you ain't coming to a church. You're coming to an everlasting covenant sealed with blood. Bought for and paid for with the life and breath of the sinless Son of God. That's who you're coming to. Oh, okay, another little thing we do here. We don't hook baptism with automatic church membership. You ever thought about that? I got blew out of the water as a Baptist pastor many years ago when I discovered that. Philip baptized an Enoch. I mean, he, he baptized a eunuch. And there was no church anywhere around. It's something called non-church baptism. Unfortunately, and I'll just, I'll just go ahead and say this. Unfortunately, as far back as the Roman church, they've hooked baptism, paedo-baptism, infant baptism, with membership, a permanent tie to the church. Once they was baptized as a baby, you was a part of the Roman Catholic Church forever. You was obligated with your time, talents, and all your money. Everything that you were, you were obligated to that. Reformation come along. And guess what Luther didn't reform? He didn't reform the aspect of that. You know why? And I'm not, I'm not beating Luther up. He did a great work, but he was just a man. But one of the things he fell short in is he never did reform the way baptism and membership was handled. And I'm probably stepping on toes here, but you proved me wrong. We've carried that forward today in the Protestant church. Most churches, if you go forward to be baptized, I'm going to tell you something. You get more than baptism. You're getting tied in with the church or the denomination for the rest of your born days. You're put, you're put, on, a, you're put on a membership role that can only come off one of two ways. can only come off if you die. Well, two or three ways. You die or you, you transfer your membership or you screw up. I don't... I, I do not believe Jesus ever intended it to be that way. Yes, we have to have order in the church. Yes, we have to have authority. Yes, we have membership. Yes, we have all these things. But I'm telling you, automatically hooking it to baptism, there's something wrong with that. We have baptized lots and lots of people in the street ministry. And you know what we tell them? Do you, look at them. Do you have a regular church? Well, yeah, I've, I've attended church down here with Grandma or Mama or wherever 
Okay, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to baptize you. You want, you want to be baptized? We're going to baptize you. You go to the preacher down there and you tell him that you've been baptized at Providence. And if he needs a statement from me, we'll send him a statement. If you don't have a place to attend worship, you can hang out with us. But if you want to be a member here, you tell me. Because we're not going to tie you down to something where God may move you out in six months. Now, y'all, that could be wrong. But I'm thinking there's liberty there. And I've, as, as someone who was raised in a traditional domination, I've had, I've had struggles with that. But you know what I'm beginning to see? And it's not that other churches don't love each other. And it's not that they don't have good stuff going on. But I'm simply telling you, if people unite with the vision that God's given us here, I had a whole lot rather have somebody committed to a God vision of the kingdom than a church vision or denomination vision that's written down on a piece of paper somewhere. See? Now, because of that, we've had lots of people come and lots of people go through the years. Maybe I shouldn't have went where I just went. We got members, great members, wonderful members. But the members, because they want to be, not because you can either, if you, you, can, you can get baptized, but you're going to be a member. We don't put stipulations on that. The only thing you need to be baptized is a confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. You go back to the Bible, that's the only thing that's ever said. He never anywhere said, you know, anything other than that. Well, did I offend you? Okay, I hope not. Oh, I hope not. Anyway, most assuredly I say, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel what I said to you. You must be born again. In other words, it has got to happen because you're in a dead state, so you've got to be given life again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now I tell you what, if you don't have spiritual eyes to, uh, to understand those words, you don't have spiritual eyes or ears. But the work of being born again is a completely a spiritual process. It's taking a dead, cold, spiritually lifeless life and bringing something to life on the inside that's never had life before. Something that never could enjoy the pleasures of God can now enjoy the pleasures of God. Something that a person who can never enjoy forgiveness or mercy or grace or could never extend forgiveness, mercy or grace can now do that thing. The capacities that one has after the new birth are so much opposed and different to the orientation beforehand until it's not even funny. I mean, it's, it's two entirely different experiences. It's two different, two different lives altogether. Now, me... I can't remember a time when I didn't love the Lord. As a child brought up in that great, wonderful country church I was brought up in, man, I tell you what, I'd go there on Sunday, we had great singing, I'd take that hymn book out, and I'd be on the, I'm, I sat on the front row. I would just, as a little fella, I'd take that hymn book, and I had them songs memorized, because, see, I'd heard them from my mama's womb. I came up singing. I think I probably sang before I talked. But I came up singing. I'd sing those songs, and I love the Lord, I love Jesus, but at nine years old, I gave my life to Him. 
And it's not always been so hunky-dory dandy. There have been times in my life I was more serious about it than others. But I'm telling you, there's probably a lot of y'all in here. You can remember the way it used to be before you ever knew Jesus. And you can tell me stories and you could testify to what you've been through and what kind of life it was. We've heard those stories over and over again. See, I can't really relate to that. But what I can relate to is the spiritual truth that says unless the Holy Spirit of God does something good, that nothing good will ever in a long-term way ever follow that. If there's any good in your life, I'm telling you, if there's ever good in your life, if there's anything positive and holy and righteous, it's because the, 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 the Son of God did something for you and it was applied by the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And it brought something to life. That was dead. You see, that's who he is. Okay, let's 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 go through these slides real quick. Next one, please. Guides us. I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of Truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He won't lie to you, people, for he will not speak his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, we must we miss that. Don't we? That sounds a little prophetic to me, doesn't it, to you? Guide you in the truth and he'll tell you of things to come. Thank you, Jesus. He'll glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I say that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Next slide. He indwells us. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God and you are not your own. You are bought with the price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Wow. Next slide. Empowers us. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this is Jesus after he was resurrected, okay? And he was spending some time hanging out with his disciples before he went back into glory. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Wow. Power to do what? Power to preach and demonstrate the kingdom of God on every grain and speck of sand and soil from where they were all around the circumference of the earth and back again. It is the Holy Spirit that drives evangelism and mission work and the work of the church and every aspect of the kingdom. It is the Spirit of God that gives us power to do that thing. If any of you have ever been involved in any kind of ministry whatsoever, and you tried to do something on your own and give it life out of the power of your own flesh, you probably came up against a stone wall and you watched something die that never had life to start with. Boy, that'll give you a wake-up call. Don't try to put life into something God hadn't breathed on. It is a complete, total waste of time, effort, and energy. You'd be better off taking a nap. I'm telling you, don't do this. Don't, don't, don't do it in your own strength. Because it's going to die and you're going to be frustrated. I'll I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm convinced that a, a, a large percentage of people who drop out of ministry drop out because they've been trying to put life into something God ain't breathed on. 
And then they'll blame God for it or somebody else. Really, it's their own fault anyway. You know what we said when we started the soup kitchen? If it's God, it'll work. If it ain't God, it'll fail. It's still going. When we released it and gave it to Janice, we sat right back there in that office and we told her, if God ain't in this, it's going to fail. If he is, it'll thrive. It's thriving. (laughs) It's more than thriving. It has taken on a new dynamic. It is something bigger now than it ever could have been with us. It's called the Catch and Release Program. That's right. PWAC. I tell you, you listen to me. If God ain't in it, it'll die. But bless God Almighty, if he is in it, all the forces in hell coming to bear on it cannot touch it. Same thing can be said for any church in town. If God's not in this, it's going to fail. If he is, all the forces of hell coming to bear against it can't stop it. Because what did he say about his church, the body? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'll tell you this. There's a place in Scripture. I'm going to close with this. Maybe just, I don't know if I've chased a rabbit or not. You're going to have to decide that. The question is asked in Scripture, will he find, when he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? I've heard that debated and turned and talked about and I've read articles and books. Will he find faith in the earth? What do y'all think? That's got to be a yes answer. It's got to be a yes answer. Because he never ends something that he starts. It's never going to come. He's not going to rapture us from failure. Which is a good thing to go forward in these wonderful times that we live in. He's not going to rapture us from a state of failure. He's going to catch up his bride at a place of absolute victory. We have got to change the way we think and express ourselves. We are going forward into these times that we live in with the expectation that God is going to prosper us and He's going to expand us and He's going to give us favor and He's going to heap upon us righteousness and grace and mercy and love. We're going forward believing that. We're not going to fail. He can't fail. He would not be so cruel as to start something he couldn't finish and definitely not snatch it from the jaws of defeat. Do you think that's what He's called you for? To snatch you from the jaws of defeat? No, sir. He's called you to be put on a platform of victory and a pedestal for the, for the warrior who has accomplished the battle that's been set before him. That's what you're made for. Don't give up and quit because you hear some, somebody saying something out there. Now, I don't want to be mean here, but I can care less if the Dow is below 7,000 or 8,000 or whatever it is because I know my daddy's got the key to the bank. And his currency ain't dollars, it's gold. You see, don't be captured by the stupidity that's out there and the cute little stuff that you hear from pulpits that's really just, it's a lie. About, oh, poor little church. 
God's going to take us away for it gets so bad. You know what I've learned? And scripture says it's going, to, it's going to get bad. It's going to get worse the further time goes. But you know what? You've got to understand that the general teaching of scripture is that the body of Christ is going to get stronger while everything's getting worse. You're going to be walking in places that you've never walked before, saying things you've never said, having favor you've never had before. I'm telling you, I'm prophesying to you now. You're going to have these things. All you have to do is just, just begin to walk in them and access it and speak it. Don't be part and privy to some cute saying somebody has somewhere. Man, please. You were made for victory because He's given you power. To go and do anything that He's put in your heart to do. Whatever the creative seed is in you. He has given you full process. He's he's put everything at your disposal to be successful. So don't think of yourself as a failure. Don't look at your life in the natural. Look at it in the spiritual. Look at it in the supernatural. The person that you get up and see in the mirror in the morning really is not the real you. It's the person on the inside. The person that joys in God. The person that has compassion for those around him. The person who who lives and breathes wanting to please God and worship him. You don't necessarily see that in the mirror. But it's on the inside. And your job is to cultivate that and let the power that's been planted in you work on that process To just absolutely come out and overwhelm the entire world around you. That's what you've been called for. And if anybody tells you anything less than that, it's wrong. Discover this. You know what one of the great things about being spirit-filled is? It's being able to the absolute throes of what you would call despair. is in just one split second. Be in the presence of the Lord. One split second. And all of heaven has just come and just wrapped you up and loved on you. Oh, that's it. Trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, we just bless you for your word. We bless you for who you are. We bless you for who Jesus is. And we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit and who he is. And Lord, we come before your throne. We're before all three of you. And we just thank you, Lord, that your word is timeless and it's truthful. Help us, un- help us discover, Lord, the-, the great truths in your word and the mystery of this life you've put, us- put before us. Let us be good stewards, Lord. Let us accomplish great things, Lord, the, the things of potential. But Lord, most, most foremost is let us love each other, Lord, unconditionally the way you've loved us. And let us express that to each other without a shame, without being ashamed, without being hesitant. Because it is being in the embrace of your love, Lord, that makes all this stuff possible. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.